0: Right, I'm going to preach from here because the wires won't go any further. Um, So, I wasn't sure which side I was going to stand on. That'll do for me. That's great. Uh, Cure, everyone. Um, Let me start by asking a dangerous question. What do you think of preaching? I wonder... Tell you in uh, what did you say, Stuart? Tw- 20 minutes? Well, um, 40 minutes, possibly, maybe even an hour, Stuart. So uh, I wonder if you enjoy preaching. Uh, each week we have a sermon, and I, for some it might be your high point of the service, but I'm under no illusions that for some of you it's the low point. I believe in preaching, um, not just because I get to do it, but I believe it is a significant part of what we gather together to do um, as God's people. I'm glad that Jackie explained that um, people could go out before the The sermon, and uh, some folks have done that. I will assume that if anyone leaves now, that it's because of the sermon, uh, not for any other reason. No, no, if you need to go out, you feel free. Earlier this week, I had a discussion online with a friend about preaching and about what preaching is all about. And we were discussing two sides of the world over um, social media, discussing what is the point of preaching, what is the central point of preaching. And together, we collectively agree that it's at its core, as we come to our message, our sermon each week, we should be opening God's Word, the Bible, to listen to God's holy and inspired and authoritative Word, seeking with His Spirit's help to understand the text before us both what it meant originally to its its readers or hearers, and to us 2,000 years later here in Lower Hutt. Preaching is not rocket science, and any of you who have heard me preach will know that. It's something that all of us should be able to understand and should leave all of us with ways to apply what we've heard into our lives in the week that we lived. So together as we come to God's word, as we read God's word together in a moment, let's do so asking God to help us to hear his voice and for each of us to not just hear his word but to be doers of it, obedient in applying it to our lives this coming week. So let's pray together. Lord God, as we come now to your word, help us to listen not to my voice, but to your voice. Help us by your spirit to understand what you say and help us, each of us, to apply it to our own lives and to be obedient to you. This day and in the coming week and in the years ahead, we pray this for your glory and in your name. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, whether it be on a phone, whether it be in paper, let's turn to Philippians chapter one and verse 27. Continuing where we left off uh, with Andy last week, Philippians chapter one and verse 27. Whatever happens, Paul writes, as citizens of heaven live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you, ...or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one Spirit, striving together with one accord for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. We're in week four of our studies of this letter, the book of Philippians, and if you've not read it through, let me give you some homework. Why not go home this afternoon and read the entire book of Philippians? Shouldn't take you long, Read what we're trying to study each week, this letter from Paul and Timothy to God's people in Philippi. Now, I'm not going to repeat what others have said in terms of preparing us, trying to understand who the Philippians were. But Paul has started by praying for the Philippians. Do you remember back in uh, chapter 1 and verse 3, he said this, I thank my God every time I remember you, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And we had that prayed uh, earlier in the baptism as well. Paul has been praying for the Philippians, which is always a good thing for the Christians to do. I wonder, are we people of prayer? but Paul is praying a joyful prayer, which is even better. Why is he joyful? Because of their partnership together, as Derek was reminding us in communion. We are in this together. You're not alone as a believer of Jesus. And Paul is reminding the Philippians we are partners together in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. I'm on dangerous ground asking too many of these questions. I wonder how you feel about coming to church. I know there are days that you probably feel like doing some other things. But if nothing else, as we gather together, we should be reminding ourselves, look, we are not alone in this. It's a great thing to meet together as believers of Jesus because we are partners of believers together in the Hut Valley. And we are not alone. There are other churches in this area that meet together. And Paul is writing from his imprisonment by himself, saying, you are partners with me in this. And he thanks God for that. They're working together for the same purpose. So Paul prays, but then he also talks about preaching. Look at verse 15 of chapter 1. He talks about some of the motives that people have when they preach. Verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. If you look at the Christian scene across New Zealand, across the world actually, you will see exactly that. There are all sorts of preachers, good and bad. And all sorts of people have all sorts of motivations for preaching. Some of those motivations are good, but some are not. Paul says some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. That is not a good thing to be preaching Christ out of. But some preach out of goodwill. So if you want to assess what a sermon has been like, a message has been like, Don't rate it on what the preacher was wearing or whether they were short or long. Paul is reminding us the key thing about any message is, has Christ been preached? Let me say that again. The key thing in any message is, has Christ been preached? And let's be clear, there are all sorts of temptations for preachers. We can preach self-help, the kind of message that it would make no difference if it was in a church or in a self-help class. Has Christ been preached? Sometimes you get preachers where it's self-promotion, where they're talking all about themselves. No, our message is Christ and him crucified. And sometimes uh, preachers preach to leave The congregation self satisfied, so that you come out of the congregation, out of the service, going, Aren't we great? Now, don't get me wrong, we don't want to send you away in misery each week either. But the message should always be, Isn't Christ wonderful? Jesus should always be at the center of our message. So let's be asking, is this message of Jesus? Paul carries on. He's he's talked about prayer and partnership and preaching. I had to have another P at that point. So he talks about the primacy of Jesus. Do you remember last week, Andy helpfully took us through the text and particularly when he got to these, these words in verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you remember what Andy said? For many in the West, we don't understand the depth of this verse. I think Andy is absolutely spot on with that. A couple of weeks ago, I was spending 10 days with believers from all over the world as I gathered in Indonesia for a global gathering of student ministries from around the world. And I saw Christianity with all its various cultural uh, flavors, all sorts of um, bright outfits and different ways of worshipping God. But I saw people who experience a very different Christian world to what we do here in New Zealand. This past week, the realities of life and death have hit home for me in some of my personal interactions. I think we would do well to ask ourselves the question, is this true for me, for me to live? is Christ, and to die is gain. I think too often in the Western world we turn it round and mix it up and we think to live is about gain. What can we we do? What can we get? How much can we get out of life? Remember Jesus said I've come to bring life and life to the full, so I'm not against that, but Paul says look for me to live is Christ and then to die is gain. Too often we think oh We'll we'll have Christ later on, but for the moment, it's all about me. No, Paul says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, Paul wants Christ at the center of his life. He wants that in the present and he wants it in the future. And everything that he does is shaped by that. And that brings us to the little section that we have today from verse 27 on. How do we understand it? How do we apply it to our life? I want to use four words, and forgive me, my slides didn't work out, so uh, there was a problem getting them up on the screen, so you're going to have to use my illustration and my fingers. Four words that sum up what this little section is all about. The first one, in verse 27, the first bit of it, first word, live. Whatever happens as Christians, as citizens of heaven, as Christians, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Another translation puts it this way, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. Live as citizens of heaven. Paul is bothered about the way that the Philippians live. And so he says, look, if you're going to call yourselves Christians, you need to live in that way. If you're going to be followers of the name of Jesus, you need to show it in your everyday life. Remember, Paul is writing this from home imprisonment. And even then, for him, there are no excuses. No doubt he's being mistreated. Well, he's imprisoned for a start. The circumstances aren't great for him, but he's still saying live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Remember, you are representatives of your heavenly citizenship. So let me ask each one of us, Are we a credit to the message of Christ? It's not just, are you singing the songs loudly on a Sunday? Not even, are you a respectable person? Or how much do you give? Or or any question like that. But how are you living your life? Now, I could probe into all sorts of areas of our lives. Here are some of the first few that came to my mind. What are you like at work? Do you work hard? Do you reflect who Jesus is in the way that you work? Maybe you have a reputation for being a slacker. Here's a different one. What about your taxes? Sorry, didn't expect to come to church and think about taxes. Are you 100% honest in your tax returns? Is your interaction with the IRD a credit to Christ? What about your language at school or at home? or at work, or in the sports field? What about what you watch on TV or at the cinema? I had the picture of the person that, when I think about integrity and living their life out for Christ, is probably one of the first people I always think of because he was so significant to me as a young Christian. And that's Sir Michael Jones. Michael Jones, as I knew him back in the day. The all black who refused to play on Sundays, who has lived his life seeking to put Christ first. And people know he's a Christian. He was a very good rugby player as well. But as a follower of Jesus, he lived his life and is still living his life seeking to bring credit to Christ. I was talking with a friend just before the service about upheaval at work and the challenges in the workplace. This week, I was talking to a friend of mine who is in senior management at Victoria University. And we all know the mess that the universities are in. Victoria, uh, particularly bad at the moment. She's going through massive upheaval at work, restruct- restructuring. She's been treated badly. And I was sat chatting with her on Friday saying, look, you need to keep on living for Christ. And she clearly has done. Living out as a Christian as a credit to Christ. So let me ask you first, how do you live? Paul says, whatever happens as citizens of heaven, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. If I can just speak to the young people for a minute, being baptized is a part of that, it's making a stand, and we'll come to that in a moment. But it's not just what you do here on a Sunday. It's about living your life for Jesus. Not just this week, not just next week, but for the years to come. Second word, stand. Also in verse 27. Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Paul is reminding the Philippians to stand. What for? To stand for the faith of the gospel. But it's more than that. Do you see what he said? Stand firm in one spirit. Strive together as one. On my slide that I'd hoped to show, I had a picture of the All Blacks performing a haka. Now, I'd chosen to put the Irish up there, Listen, I'm English, so it's painful for me as well thinking about that at the moment. No gloating there. But do you remember the Irish, when they sing their anthem, what do they sing? Island, island, together, standing tall, shoulder to shoulder, will answer Ireland's call. And they stand there facing the might of the hacker. As Christians, we are to do something like that, to stand together, shoulder to shoulder, as one. Paul is telling the Philippians, stand together, stand as one, fight for the faith of the gospel. In case you've not got the message, that's why meeting together is so important. We are a family of believers. We meet together. We express that truth that we are one body. And no doubt, as we meet each Sunday, there are times where you come to church and you don't feel particularly strong. We've all had those days. There's no shame in that. It's why Paul remind, reminds us we stand firm in one spirit. We unite together as believers with God's help, by God's spirit comforting and helping us as we prepare to go into our week. It's one of the reasons I love to sing with the lights on as I look around and think that person's going through real tough circumstances, but we're together with them. It's why. Well, I know not everyone can sing well. I'm one of those people that doesn't sing well. But to hear each other singing, singing the praises of God together is so important. And we strive together as one. Now, that doesn't mean we all agree together. It doesn't mean we're all the same in our personalities or temperaments or even our gifting. But we seek to strive together. And that's what Paul means by standing. We stand together without being frightened. The word there is about being spooked like horses. We don't need to be frightened by those that oppose us. We stand. Trouble is, standing doesn't feel very active, does it? It feels quite passive and weak. Yeah, we'll sing the song, I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned, but you try and get me to stand at school for being a Christian, or in the workplace, or at home. No, standing is a very active choice. I may have told this story before, but I'm sure you've forgotten, and if I'm repeating it, indulge me for a moment. In 1996, I went on a missions trip from the US, where I was studying, to Jamaica. Sounds like an idyllic missions trip, but we were in a tough area, an area called Olympic Gardens. the week that we uh, were going there, the previous week, seven people had been shot in that one area. We were going in as white people into an area where drugs was running rampant, and it it was a real problem area. We were doing some street meetings, whatever you think of street meetings, that was the thing that I was doing. And uh, we'd been leading a street meeting when all of a sudden there was shooting down the street. And you looked and you saw people running. We were working with a new Jamaican Christian, a guy called Everald, and he stood and grabbed the microphone from our team, about 15 of us from the US and myself, and he said, look, God's witnesses aren't afraid. They're standing, and people were running past us, terrified. Now, I have to say, at that point, as Everald was saying, God's witnesses aren't afraid, I was thinking, actually, I am. But because he'd said we were standing and we're standing unafraid, I stood there. It was a very active thing. To stand for Jesus may at times feel a very weak or passive thing, but don't get it wrong. Just a couple of weeks ago, I met Christians from Ukraine, from Russia, standing their ground in the midst of some of the toughest situations. Christians from many of the countries that end in Stan in Eurasia. People taking a stand for Jesus. We are united with them, firm in one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And Paul reminds the Philippians to do that. Take a stand this week. Third word, believe, verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Sometimes I hear people talking about how people become Christians having changed these days. They say, oh, you first have to belong to a community of believers and then you believe and then you behave. And sometimes people mix those up. I think it's a bit of a nonsense. The conversation is a bit more nuanced than I can share in the few minutes we have now. But belief is an essential part of what it means to be a Christian. We have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember one of the earliest converts in the city of Philippi, the jailer in Acts chapter 16? And Paul's probably got this in his mind as he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi. Remember the story? Paul and Silas had been thrown into prison, and they're dealing with all the consequences of that, when suddenly there's a massive earthquake And the prisoners are surely going to escape. So the jailer, who realizes that his life is at risk, thinks, well, I'll just end my own life. He's about to kill himself with a sword when he meets Paul and Silas. Conversation goes on in Acts 16, and he asks the question, what must I do to be saved? And what does he reply? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Paul is reminding the Philippians here that following Jesus is about believing in Jesus. It is a decision to trust in Jesus, to turn from your sins and to turn to Christ because you believe in God, because you believe in what Jesus has done. As we sometimes sing, our judge and our defender suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in you. I believe in God, our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again. Why? I believe in the name of Jesus. Now, you don't need to say that to everyone that you meet this week. You don't have to remember all those details. But it may be as simple as standing up for your faith and saying, yeah, I'm a believer. Christianity is nothing less than belief. And it's certainly more than that. You belong to a new community. You are to behave in a new way. And that's going to have its impact. I remember as a child, my parents used to take us into Eastern Europe when it was communist. And we'd go and dad would speak at youth camps. In Poland, we'd travel through Poland and East Germany, Czechoslovakia, some of those countries. I remember watching Polish Christians in communist Poland where the secret police would follow you at times. We'd go for a meal with the youth camp and you'd have a group of 30, 40, 50 young people They'd go to a restaurant for a meal. They'd stop and not just pray grace, they would sing grace that was believers saying yeah we believe no matter what the cost so let me ask you this week do you believe paul is telling the philippians they have the privilege of belief I remember in my childhood i used to have a bookmark in my bible that asked the question this if it was illegal to be a christian would there be enough evidence to convict you. It's pretty challenging, isn't it? It may be small acts of belief. It might be standing up at school or work and saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, when people are challenging your belief. Maybe walking out when someone starts telling a snotty joke. It's prioritizing being here at church. It's making time to pray and read the Bible. It's setting aside some of your finances and your resources to give to God's Word. And sure, we may have to say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But believing is a key part of following Jesus. But it's not the only part. The fourth word, you will have seen it or heard it, as I said, as I read in verse 29. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Live Stand, believe, and suffer. Christianity is the way of the cross. And remember, Paul is writing this, experiencing suffering himself, telling the Philippians what to do. I include myself in this. We have bought into a sanitized version of Christianity in the West, where we expect Christ, and all that he brings, but no cost, no cross. I need to be careful how much I say, so I I won't say many of the details here. But whilst I was in Indonesia, I met with believers from the Middle East who have been imprisoned for many years, who we were not allowed to take pictures of because their lives could be at risk if those pictures were found. I looked back at my own life and the sacrifices I and my family have made to follow Jesus, even to the ends of the earth. And I looked and thought, I have made no sacrifices compared to what these folks are doing elsewhere in the world. There is a cost to following Jesus. Let me challenge each of us. Are we prepared to be rejected? Are we prepared to be despised? Are we prepared to be discriminated against? Elsewhere, Paul writes, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. One of my good friends who's now with Jesus is a lady called Dr. Helen Rosevere. She became a Christian while she was studying at university and she went away on a camp where the speaker of the camp was a well-known speaker at the time. And as sometimes young people do, she asked the speaker, would you sign my Bible? And he opened the Bible, um, I think to the early pages, but he opened it to Philippians chapter 3 and read her some verses that we'll get to later in the series. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. And he said, Helen, I want to pray for you and I want to pray these words. Philippians 3, 10 and 11. I want to know Christ. Helen, I pray that you would know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. And I pray, Helen, that you would know the power of Christ's resurrection in your life. And then he continued. And participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And he said, Helen, I pray that not only you would know Christ's power, that you'd know Christ, but you'd know the participation in his sufferings. Some of you will have heard of Helen Rosevere. You can read her biographical, autobiographical books as she tells the story as a doctor moving to the Belgian Congo, a single woman, serving as a doctor, as a physician, but building some of her own hospitals to work in. A civil war takes over the Belgian Congo in the 60s and 70s. She's kidnapped. She's beaten. All whilst following Jesus. She's raped. And yet, in the midst of all of that, she came to know Christ better. She saw the power of his resurrection, the fellowship, the participation in suffering. Christianity is not just about believing, it is about suffering. Not that we go looking for it, but as we, as we follow Jesus, there will be a cost to it. And Paul reminds them, live, stand, believe, and suffer for Jesus. As I said at the start, The point of a sermon is to point us to Jesus. And that's what Paul is doing as he writes this letter. He's saying, look, I'm in prison, but look to Jesus, the one who came and lived. Live like Christ. Your attitude should be the same of Christ as Jesus. Stand despite opposition or persecution. Believe, trust in God's work and God's ways. And suffer. Christ shows what it is to suffer. And this is the way that he calls us to follow. May God help us as we seek to do that in our lives this week. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us. Thank you uh, for the reminder from Philippians to live for you, to stand for you, to believe in you, And as you call us to, to suffer for you. Thank you for your gospel. May we live good lives this week, wherever you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Amen.